because we are the ones that set the spiritual tone for the nation. That is our responsibility. So as I begin to think about that, you know, we need to we need not kid ourselves. I've seen all kinds of stuff out there. You know, there's a lot of people that think that somehow if we can just ride out these next couple of months to the end of 2020, 2020 has been so bad, so horrible, and some people almost you can see the mentality that somehow that when the calendar clicks over 2021, everything is going to be cool. Somehow I don't see it playing out that way. See, if we believe that, we're about to make one of those regretful mistakes. As the people of God, we need to humble ourselves and pray. We, I fully believe we will continue to see a ramping up until God's people do actually get on their faces before him. And so I don't care where you find, I don't like where we find ourselves any more than you do. I can't wait to get back to life as normal. I can't wait to get back to church as normal, where people feel safe enough and comfortable enough that the seats are all filled again. I can't wait because there's just, well, there's just something about when it's a full house and people are worshiping God with passion. And man, I so want to get back to that stuff. And I appreciate every person that is watching online, but I want to see your body here. So how could we, that as a people, who get, think of this, I believe, I was praying about this in my own life this week, I was like, Lord, I don't like where things are at right now, but then I had this sense, you know, but isn't it cool that for whatever reason, I really believe you are allowing me to be a part of what you are doing as you wrap this thing up. What a privilege. Oh, does that mean it's all going to be peaceful and hunky-dory? Probably not. But man, can you imagine being the ones that are alive and remain and we see God begin to move among his people and begin to do things that even in the midst when it seems like the deck is stacked against us, that we can stand up and he moves on our behalf and we see things happen and we begin to see God's presence and and he begins to pour out his spirit because I really believe that things may get more difficult, but I also believe in a God that will pour out his spirit and his church will at some point rise up and be the church that he intended it to be. And when that happens, getting to be a part of that is going to be a blast. So while I hate some of the stuff and while I wanted to get back to normal, there's a big part of me that's like, you know what, but this is about to get cool. So I thought of that because we could be the ones that see the day that the bridegroom comes to get his bride to take us to the place he has prepared for us. Isn't that going to be cool? I mean, I'm hoping when it happens, I'm having the worst day that all of a sudden I can look at all that stuff and say, see ya. (laughs) So I thought about that. I thought of Matthew 25. And we're going to start at verse 1 and 2. Jesus made this day. I want you to understand this is Jesus speaking. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Think about that. You know, Jewish weddings were a little bit different than, than, than our weddings. You know, we kind of tend to, you know, the typical way it goes is you have the, the, you know, Friday night rehearsal and dinner, and then you have the, the Saturday wedding, and it's, you know, maybe a couple hour affair time, the reception and all those things, and, and everybody kind of goes their own way. But that's not, exa- that's not the way. Everybody just kind of shows up and it happens. But that's not the way they did it. On the wedding day, the groom's party literally would begin at his house, the place that was prepared for his bride to come and stay with him. And him and his party, right about dusk, would sit out to go pick up the bride. And they would light their torches or carry their lamps or whatever, and they would, they would begin to head out, and they would make, it would literally be like this parade on the way to get the bride. Runners would go before the, the bridegroom, beginning to announce the, the groom is coming, the groom is coming. And upon getting word, the bride and her maids would get ready, and they would go out, and they would meet the bridegroom, and there'd be this parade this almost this celebration as they went back together to the place where the the groom had prepared and was bringing his bride to be a part of it and then the wedding party would begin and it wasn't just some small celebration there'd be a huge dinner and all these things and many times in their culture the wedding party would last for seven days what a celebration but as you look at it This story that Jesus is telling is very clearly that he is saying that he is the bridegroom. And we know that he himself later on said, said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Exactly in line with the picture that he is telling here. And we know that the bride, the bride is the church. But... The bridesmaids represent the individual people of his church. So I want you to think about that for a moment. The ten virgins were those that were part of his professing church. So you might say that this parable was told about us. Some prepared and some unprepared. And the rapture is the groom coming back to pick up his bride and take her to be with him. I don't know about you, I am looking forward to that day. More so now than ever. But let's pick it up, verse 3 and 4. Those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil in them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now this is talking about a wonderful moment. This is talking about an incredible time that the groom comes back to get his bride that is supposed to be waiting for him and longing for that day and longing for that moment. And yet all of a sudden, this also, this parable comes with it a warning. And I was telling some people, I've read this parable many, many, many times. This week, something hit me I'd never really thought of in the light that it hit me this week. 
50% of those that thought they were going with the groom when he returned didn't make it. That ought to hit us in the face. That ought to be a wake-up call. Now, am I saying it's exactly going to be 50%? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is Jesus is clearly making a point is that there are some. And maybe a larger percentage than we think that think they're going with the bridegroom that will be left behind. That ought to be a sobering thought. Their foolish mistake, they were low on oil. So let's think about this. So what is this oil? What is this oil that he's talking about? This oil represents true faith. This oil represents a right relationship with God and a constant presence of his Holy Spirit. In Scripture, oil, we know, is oftentimes referring to the Holy Spirit. Oil was used synonymously many times. And true followers of Jesus, we know, enjoy the presence of his Spirit. If we want to really be like the good virgins, the ones that were prepared, we'd better be prepared for his return. We had better spend time in his presence. We better make sure that that the wicks on our lamps are trimmed and that the oil is full. And we better be active in that process. We better not make the mistake that I made with my truck and forget to check the oil. But for those that are ready, what an exciting, exciting moment. The wedding excitement. Remember what it was like when you were excited to be married? The anticipation of the moment. I remember during that time, you know, at that point, I could tell you at any day, if anybody asked me, I could tell you exactly how many days were left until that day arrived. I was longing for that day. I was looking for that day. And marriage is a wonderful thing when it's done right. I mean, think of it. You get to spend the rest of your life with that special person that you know exactly how to push all their buttons. You can make them happy when you want them happy. You can pick on them when you want to pick on them. And sometimes you can just poke them a little bit just to get a rise out of them. It's great. Except for they can do the same thing to you. But I wouldn't have it any other way. One of the most joyous occasions on earth is wedding day. And if it's done right, if it's done within God's plan, then eventually that union can bring forth new life. And what a precious, precious thing. As we were worshiping, I couldn't help but smile when I heard my granddaughter helping us sing. She loves listening to mom and dad's voice. I come to a Thursday night practice sometimes and and sit there and hold her on the front row as they're going through the songs, and she just loves the music. It is so cool to see. New life. 
I mean, this whole idea of a wedding is a wonderful thing. And all the preparation that goes into it, all the things. You know, when, when, when you have a good life, you can look back. I mean, dates are marked on the calendar. I can tell you that right now, we are literally eight days away from our celebration of our... Actually, it's a little less than eight days now. We literally, on, on November 14th, will be our 34th year anniversary. So it's a day I can tell you exactly when it happened. But think about it. Look forward to it. Characteristics of the bride. All the prep that goes into it. But they're deeply in love with the groom. And they want to spend the rest of their lives with them. And and whether it's months or years of getting ready, the getting ready process takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. And I love, you know, one of the things I love about getting to do weddings is get to, I get to stand there with the groom and I get to watch firsthand the groom's facial expressions when his bride that has prepared herself comes walking through those doors and it's about to take place and to see the emotional reaction that takes. I mean, even the biggest, I mean, if they do it right, even the biggest, toughest men become little teddy bears when they see that bride coming. Because they're deeply in love. Philippians 3.20 tells us this. For our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also, it says, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. We should be eagerly waiting. With anticipation. So Jesus gives this parable encouraging our joy and our excitement about the day of his return. And our focus and our preparation should be preparing for that day like a bride, knowing that one day he will, we will get that sound and there will be, we will be joined with him. But there's an interesting situation in this parable that I want us to look at for a moment. The delayed return. Verse 5 says this, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Let that sink in for a moment. It's as if Jesus knew that his return would be delayed more than people thought. Let that sink in for a moment. I mean, he tells us in this parable that the groom was delayed and they all slumbered and slept. How many times have we seen movies where the groom, I mean, if you're watching a movie, a romantic comedy or something, and it's all about the wedding, you know good and well that something's going to happen that the groom gets delayed. It's just part of the script. I think it's an unwritten law. All kinds of things are going to happen. Maybe even if he's doing his best and he really wants to be there on time and he's not one that stuff happens. Now, I know Jesus wasn't delayed by accident. But yet in this story, typical fashion, the groom was delayed. But when it happens, you can imagine what happens when that, when that occurs. There has to be a little bit of a thought on the bride's perspective. Is he coming? I know he made a promise. But is he coming? Is he really going to show up? This was the appointed time. Where is he? 
And yet we can see that really, if we're honest with ourselves, the church as a whole, in this delay and this wait, we've become sleepy. The sleepy wedding party. This ought to be a warning to us. I mean, wouldn't you agree that much of the church today is a little sleepy? Even when Jesus was here on this earth, how, he said to his disciples, could you not pray with me one hour? And we see all the stuff going on in the world around us and we tune in on our news channels and we do all of these things, but how much time have you actually spent on your face praying and asking God to do something? Couldn't we classify that as being sleepy? See, we get far too caught up in this world. And I'm afraid many times we've lost the anticipation of his return. Oh, we know that we want it to happen. We, we want to be there, but, but we've lost that anticipation. And sometimes there's too much, I'm afraid, of a lack of concern of a perishing world around us. Can you imagine a ship if they found out there was a person overboard that they wouldn't be on alert and doing everything they could to rescue that which was lost? Can you imagine paramedics showing up on a scene or firemen showing up on a scene of a burning building knowing someone was trapped inside and them having a sleepy, lackadaisical attitude towards the person being trapped in a burning building? Michelle was telling me a story this morning. They had an ambulance across the street uh, at their house, and they said, Tor, she said, Tori was determined. I'm going to go across the street and help. And she was like, well, what can somebody your age do? I don't know, but they need help. But the church has lost that. We've gotten a little sleepy. We should be excited You know, even in the midst of this pandemic, I'm I'm afraid it's made the church a little more sleepy. I read something, I read a study that was done and statistics are being floated out there in some of the circles that I listen to and they're estimating that churches through this have lost 20% of their congregations they will probably never return. And I understand that there are circumstances. I understand that there are situations where people feel the need to stay home. Here's my concern, though, that we get a little too comfortable being able to sit on our couches and watch TV in our pajamas. That even when this is done, will we really make the effort to get back and be engaged again? Or will we remain sleepy? But think about this. What does this delay do? This delay reveals the heart of his bride. I mean, because look at them. At first look, they're all ten virgins are identical. They were all chosen because they were literally, their reputation was that they were pure. They all had lamps. They had light. 
the light of the gospel. They all considered themselves to be waiting for the bridegroom. And their lamps burned, looking just at the lamps on the outside, and each one looked just as bright as the other. All of them got a little sleepy. The difference was the effort to make sure that the lamps were full of oil. I mean, the delay exposed the hidden difference between those in the wedding party that were waiting. See, guess what? When we give our life to Christ, every one of us get on fire, right? And, and, but what about after that? What about after, as longer time goes by and we spend all this time surrounded by darkness and we can let ourselves get to that time? Like we heard a politician recently say, we're headed for a long, dark winter. Well, we better make sure we have oil. I don't necessarily buy that, but I do believe that there are challenges we will continue to face. We must maintain the flame, and here's the, here's the deal. It is your responsibility to maintain the flame. It is your responsibility to make sure there is oil in the lamp. At the very beginning, when the whole law was set in place, Leviticus 24.2 says this, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. The oil is our responsibility. The wise ones... Understood that. The wise ones maintained their oil. The wise ones kept their wicks trimmed and they kept things in order so that the lamp was the most efficient and the most prepared it could be. Five were ready. They were constantly working on it. The, and, but guess what? The enemy wars against us. We all know that. We all know we need to maintain our relationship. We all know that we need that personal time with Jesus Christ to keep ourselves full of oil. We all understand that, but the enemy wars against that. There's distractions at every turn. Even the stuff going on in the world around us, we can get so caught up in that that we neglect our time with Christ. And our lamps can become a little dry, and we can get sleepy. See, Jesus didn't die on some gruesome cross to make us his bride for us to just be acquaintances. It wasn't a, hey, if you sign up today, I'll give you a free lamp. Yes, there's nothing we can do to earn or to pay for that lamp. It is a free gift. But keeping it full of oil is our responsibility. As I said two weeks ago, I said for too many, we want, a, we want a common law relationship with the benefits of living with Jesus, but not a covenant relationship of being a spotless bride. This week's version of that statement is this. We better check and refill our oil or we risk risk being a left-behind dipstick. 
Yes, I was a little proud of that one. But guess what? Then came the day. There was a delay, but then came the day and the moment that there was a sudden arrival. Scripture describes it in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. The awaited day arrives, verse 6 and 7. And at the midnight cry, as the midnight cry was, at, and at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the, those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Can you imagine just when they had relaxed enough, just when they all got sleepy enough that they were nodding off to sleep, all of a sudden, surprise, it's now! And they jumped up and they grabbed their lamps and they did what they could to get them ready. But here's the thing. He, his coming may have been a surprise, but it was not unannounced and it was not unexpected. And as his people, we have been given enough information to look at the signs of the times, look at things and say, you know what? His return is approaching. It's soon. He's literally almost knocking at the door. But yet, at the same time, I'm still seeing a level of sleepiness that has me concerned. I think we'd better wake up tend to our lamps and make sure we're full of oil. You know, he simply came at an unexpected time. Some were ready, some were caught with oilless lamps. Here's the point I'm getting at. Jesus here is clearly, as he's telling this parable, he is talking about his return. He is talking about his bride. And he's making it very, very clear. There will be some that think that they're in good shape and they will find out their lamps are lacking oil. That's a warning. There's no other way to slice it. It's a warning. And we can't say that we are, aren't warned. If you look around you, things are more aligned now than ever. We're having a conversation out there. Did we ever think we would see the day that we'd see all these treaties taking place between Israel and these Arab nations and all the stuff that is beginning to come into alignment? The stage is set. I mean, I, I almost expect any moment for them to say, to announce that they're beginning, they're going to break ground to rebuild the temple. I mean, it's like we're sitting in the moment where we're looking at the last days and we can begin to see, I mean, things that seemed impossible to ever happen all of a sudden are coming into alignment. We better wake up. We better realize that it's coming. They're more aligned now than ever. And we are to be his Holy Spirit-empowered bride. We're supposed to be the ones that are full of oil. We're supposed to be the ones that are shining the light to the world around us. And we better wake up and get back to being what he's called us to be. Because the trumpet is going to sound, and it is going to happen, and the groom is coming. And I don't know about you, I want my lamp well-trimmed, in good shape, and full of oil. The events of our world today are, are that cry. Behold, the bridegroom comes. You know, the next sound we may hear is that trumpet. 
And when it happens, we won't be able to run grab more oil. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. You can't, oops, hold on. Let me run the store. I can't emphasize enough, there were some that were convinced they were going with the bridegroom. And they were left behind. I don't know about you, but I hear people sometimes make statements like, well, if I happen to miss the rapture and miss that, then, then I'll, just, I'll just repent and I'm going to have to give my life during the tribulation, but I'll still make it. Well, let me tell you this. If you can't make it now under the age of grace, how in the world are you going to make it when, when recounting Christ will literally what you will have to do to have food? When you're starving to death, you really think you'll have the fortitude to say, I'll get it right now. See, because once the tribulation happens, once this all comes into action, once we face this time, the age of grace is gone. That's the age of God's judgment being poured out upon the earth. Think about that for a moment. God's focus, if you read it in Scripture, God's focus during that time is saving those he can save in Israel. The time of the Gentiles is done. Now, God's judge, I'm not. But there ought to be a little bit of a wake-up call, a little bit of a warning. Because God's attention will be on the Jews. Let's look at verse 10 through 13 as we wrap this story up. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, let's read that again. Those who were ready went with in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, Jesus' words. For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. What scary words. And the door was shut. My mind instantly went to something else. That I believe in scripture is a foreshadowing of the rapture. That's the story of Noah and the ark. What happened? God announced his judgment. Those that were faithful were in the ark and they were lifted up above the wrath that was taking place on the earth. If you read the story, when the door to the ark was shut, there was no more getting in. That ought to be sobering. Can you imagine the banging on the door, the crying out, saying, Oh, you were right, I was wrong. Sorry, the door shut. This is sobering, I know. 
Because when the door was shut, it was final. In Jesus' parable and in the story of Noah's Ark. We better wake up. I'm looking around and I see so many people today that are part of his church and they make compromises all over the place. And they think that somehow they can live their life outside of what scripture tells us is supposed to be good and right. They can make exceptions because culture says that's what we should do. I don't think that God in that moment is going to be standing there and say, you know what, since you're aligned with culture, I'm going to let you in. No, his standard does not change. We can make whatever legal we want to make legal. But if he says it's unlawful, if, it says, if he says it's against his standard, it remains against his standard. And no matter what argument we make, we will find ourselves on the outside if we're not careful. Ran across the story as I was preparing this. I thought it was pretty funny. <clears throat> and Scary in another way, but I mean, you're familiar with two, who Tony Evans is. He's a pretty well-known speaker that uh, had a church for a long time in the Dallas area and all kinds of things out, but he tells a story that it just fits. And he was talking about being in an elevator one time with a group of people, and the elevator gets stuck between floors. And he te- the way he tells the story which is a great storyteller. But the way he tells the story is people begin to panic. And there are people banging on the doors of the elevator and they're calling out, let us out of here, let us out of here, let us out. And he said, in the middle of all this chaos, he said, I just walked over, opened up the little box, picked up the phone, and contacted somebody that could do something about it. Hung the phone up, next thing you know, help was there. Isn't that kind of a picture of where our world is? All the panic, all the banging on the door, all the raging, all the screaming out, and we are the ones that has the direct line to go and reach out to the help that we need. This parable really represents the truth. And he's talking about the oil, as we said, this oil that represents our faith, this oil that represents our relationship with God and being consistent and allowing the presence of his Holy Spirit to be active in our life. And then this is symbol of the Spirit. And we're, it's our job to keep ourselves in his presence and to keep the oil in our life and to live by his standards and to be pure and to be right. It doesn't matter what the world says around us. Part of my prayer lately is, Lord, I don't care what culture says. Help me to be right and let me be, help me to be true. And if it means that, I, that there's consequences because I go against the flow, it's just going to have to be what it is. Just give me the faith to stand up and do and say what I need to do and say when the time comes. Yeah. See, we as people, we better check our oil level. This message should be a wake-up call to all of us. Do we have extra oil? Or maybe the fire has even gone out. If we don't wake up now, what will it take? Today I want you to just bow your heads for just a moment. Those online, I want you to begin to examine your own hearts.
I don't know what the percentage will be, but it just really struck me this week that 50% in this parable of those that thought they were going missed it. Lord God, I pray that is not the case. But it ought to wake us up. It ought to stir us to our core. It ought to take even the most devout of us and cause us to begin to re-examine where we are in our relationship with him, to re-examine where we are with the, with the oil in our own lives. And maybe you're, you're here this morning or you're watching online and, 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 and you just realize that you're, you say, you know what, I don't even have a lamp. I haven't even given my life to Christ. I haven't even responded. I know this. And, and maybe somehow you even convinced yourself that just being exposed to all this, just because your family called themselves Christians, that means you're included too. But guess what? You can't make it on your parents' faith. It has to be your relationship. And if you have not committed your life to Christ, you better quit playing games and you better get it right and you better ask him to come in and to be your Lord and Savior. So this morning, I realize that most everybody that's here in the audience, you guys are the faithful of the faithful. You're, you know, just the fact that you're here during all this means a, means a whole lot. But if there's anybody that is under the sound of my voice, whether this morning right now, or you're watching online, or maybe you're watching it as it's archived later, if that's you, that now is the time to get your life right with Christ. That tugging that you're feeling in your spirit is the Holy Spirit saying, I'm speaking to you. This message is for you. It's time to get it right now. It's time to surrender now. It's time to quit playing games now. So if there's anyone here this morning say, you know what, that's me, I need to get it right now. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Say, that's me. I need to fix it. For those of you that are watching online, it would be wonderful if you could just shoot a little message online or something to us to let us know that you're responding. You can do that later, but if you're watching right now, I just challenge you to pray and ask the Lord to come into your life. If you're feeling that draw, because you can't come unless the Holy Spirit draws you. But if that's you, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. If you're watching this and this has spoke to you, I want you to pray this prayer with us. Lord Jesus, I come before you this morning and I ask you, Lord, I understand that without you, I'm just a sinner. I understand that the things in my life that are outside your guidelines, that are wrong, Lord Jesus, that those are the things that will prevent me from being in your presence unless I can put them under the blood of Jesus through the sacrifice that was made. So Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord and Savior and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And I ask you to come, be my Lord and King. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And I intend to live for you the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. For others, 
Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've, I've, I've prayed that prayer and I'm in it and I haven't really ever backed up from that, but I realize in the midst of this that I've let my oil get a little low. If I were to pull out my dipstick right now, it'd be barely registering on the bottom. That's scary, right? Have you ever had that happen? I did, obviously, with the story I told earlier. We need to check our oil. And if our oil is low, the worst thing we can do is walk out of here and return to life as normal. Some habits need to change. Spend a little less time on the internet. Spend a little less time playing games. Spend a little less time on TV and spend some of that time getting your oil replenished as you put yourself in the presence of God so the Holy Spirit can speak to you. That's one of the greatest things you do because he will begin to show you some of the things. Matter of fact, if you're, if you're confused about some things, you know what? One of the smartest prayers you can pray, Lord, show me where I am wrong. Show me where my opinion Opinions are out of balance. Show me the things that I've got wrong. Let me see it through your eyes and your way. I tell you what, as long as I've been in this, I pray that on a regular basis because I am human and just like anybody else, I can get off the mark thinking I'm so right. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you're a little straying off right over here. I need you to correct that. We all should do that. See, the truth is, let's replenish that oil. And as we're waiting for the trumpet, if we're waiting for that to sound to get ready, it's going to be too late. Because as I said, when the door is shut, the door is shut. We better check and refill our oil or we risk being a left-behind dipstick. And that is a dumb mistake we will regret for eternity. There is no coming back from that one. Amen. Father, I lift these people up before you, Lord, for those watching online. Lord, I pray, Lord, there's no doubt in my mind that this is a message, Lord, that is from you. Lord Jesus, when you were on this earth, you spoke these words yourself. There is no disputing that. And so, Lord, I pray that that message will get into our heart. Lord, it was, I believe it was a warning to your church and your people and those that are expecting your return. Lord, let us not get so sleepy that we forget, Lord Jesus, that you will come and you will return and that we live in a time that is closer to it than any time of any other people that has ever lived before us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take this to heart and we would let it get in our spirits and we would make sure that we are prepared and ready, Lord, so that when the time comes and that you do come, that we go to be with you and when the door is shut, we find ourselves on the right side of that door. Wake us up. Wake us from our slumber and let us be your people that humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways so that you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here this morning.